What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanDrag Sports. I'm Sebastian Noren with me, Elliot Niblock. We are polyless today. However, Mr. Costell will provide us with a mobile final thought towards the end of the show. So look forward to that. It's about the U.S. men's national team and the January tour and a little youngster called Jonathan Gonzalez. So uh, stick around for that one later in the show. But we're going to kick things off talking about Mark Hughes, who was let go by Stoke after their FA Cup loss to Coventry. League 2 side Coventry, we should add. Sprinkle some salt in that wound for all Stoke fans. (laughs) I mean, it's been a poor, poor first half of the season, or almost two-thirds now. For Stoke and for Mark Hughes, so I was not surprised at all. We've heard the sort of the rumblings for a while here that he could have could very well have been the next man to go, and so is the case now. He's the seventh manager to get fired this season. Is that too many, Elliot? Are too many teams losing fate in their manager too soon? Well, it's hard to say because I mean, if you take the view of just you know the club second their managers in general they've almost invariably had greater success after doing so so you know uh, on that level no and with stoke particularly it's also hard to say i mean how long have we been saying well they've got a lot of talent in their side but right you know and seeing very little come from that uh, yeah, maybe it's a little too much if you want to be kind of old and stodgy about it and wanting clubs to stick by their steward. But at the same time, it's a results business, and it's a business with much more money. So it's hard to be surprised to see teams turn over a little more quicker these days. Yeah, and I mean, ever since leaving Manchester City, he has struggled. You know, first when he took over Blackburn... He had a win percentage of 43.6% over, you know, roughly four years, a little bit under four years, which isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, then Manchester City, 46.8, although he only was in charge for about 77 games or a year and a half. And then, you know, Fulham, he lasted 43 games, 32.6 QPR. I mean, he didn't even last a full year, 34 games, 23.5. And then Stoke, you know, he lasted almost five years, 200 games, 35.5. But he, I mean, he he didn't, you know, I, I gestured towards it earlier, right? Like, how long have we been talking about the talent that the Stoke team has to offer? And, you know, it players like signing Jordan Shakiri, right? Like, I think that that was a moment, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to pretend that Joe Allen or Peter Crouch are world beaters. Right. But they're still quality players. And when, for me, when they signed Shakiri, I thought, okay, right. This is a player who has had a lot of success on the continent was, you know, scooped up by Bayern, didn't quite break through there, but they're, they, for my money, they've been consistently underperforming with him at the helm. 
you know, you asked me how I feel about this kind of manager merry-go-round in general. And yeah, maybe I have some reservations about it. But if you look at the quality of this Stoke team in particular and the results they've been able to get with that quality, I mean, I think that on paper, this looks like a solid Premier League side. And yet, it's been anything but that under his stewardship. So I, I think it really probably was time to go. Yeah, right now Stoke are in a relegation spot. They're in 18th place, so just under the drop here. And from all reports uh, that we've read today here, it looks like Martin O'Neill, the uh, Republic of Ireland national team manager, will take over. Or at least that's what they ho- they're hoping. Yeah, but he's... Am I wrong? Did I read this earlier today that he said he was going to try to stay on for Ireland ultimately, even if he takes the Stoke job? I mean, he could. I, I don't see a a problem with that, really. I mean, Ireland, they don't have a competitive game until September. Yeah. So, you know, if he signs on for Sunderland for the remainder of the season or for uh, Stoke for the remainder Stoke. of the season... You know, I don't see a problem with him keeping the Ireland job, too, and then you take it from there. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but, but that also depends on whether or not, you know, are Stoke going to want to keep him around if he does indeed steer them to avoid the drop? And then uh, is the Irish FA going to... Is the Irish FA willing to sit in kind of a holding pattern, having just narrowly missed out on the world cup knowing that their manager may come summer say right okay i'm going to stay with the potters because they're offering me a more lucrative and stable position <laughs> although it's hard to say stable the <laughs> premier league side threatened with relegation but. yeah i mean it's uh it's a tough one although i i do like the prospect of o'neill taking over and bringing uh Roy Keane and all of his staff with him. That would be kind of a fun thing to see. Uh, O'Neill, as you know, many of us might, or at least I remember him mostly as you know the manager for Celtic and then Aston Villa. Then he had a little spell at Sunderland before taking the Ireland job. So it would kind of be nice to see him back in club football. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. He's he's a candidate that would make sense if he were to sign a six month contract. But yes, yeah, bring him for the beyond rest of that, the season. Yeah, and I and I think that, but you know, I was just talking about that earlier, right? Like we've seen so many clubs have success with that and signing a new manager and say, right, just avoid the drop. That is the sum of your ambition. That's it. Do it, and. If he can do that, then great. But I think that they, I don't think that, right? I think that he would be a great candidate if that's it. But I think Stoke, were they to do the scenario that I just proposed being possible, right? And should he avoid the drop with a plum, offer him the job on a longer term deal? That I think would be a mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also been reports that. You know, their main guy would be uh, former Watford manager Kiki Sanchez Flores. 
who's uh, currently with Espanyol. So they would have to buy him out from his contract at Espanyol. So, but I have no trouble with them going short-term O'Neill, and then hopefully they can avoid relegation, and then you take another stab at bringing in Sanchez Flores in the I, summer, you know, and give him a I, full summer transfer window. Whether it's whether it's Stoke or hell, even whether it's Arsenal, I would really like to see Claudio Ranieri return to the Premier League before he retires, and I wouldn't be surprised if that does happen in the next year or two. And I wouldn't be surprised if Stoke were to offer him that job, right? I mean, he's doing well with Nantes in Ligue 1, and I, I think he's... And again, to speak of managers for whom I have a lot of respect, who I was sad to see sacked, and who, nonetheless, his sacking spurred Leicester on last season to far greater things. But... I would like to see him come back, you know, whether it's whether it's at Stoke-upon-Trent or somewhere else. I He's just, you know, dilly-ding, dilly-dong. Dilly-ding, dilly-dong, really yes. Dilly-dilly. Uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's such a great quote. That interview is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what happens there. But O'Neill coming in short-term, I have no trouble with that, especially if he brings in... Uh, Roy Keane as well, because he is entertaining the watch on the sideline. Moving on, silly season is in full swing here in January. And uh, we already talked about the Philippe Coutinho move from Liverpool to Barcelona in our previous episode. But there's so much more to talk about here. So, Javier Hernandez. Four goals, 21 games, and now West Ham seems to be ready to cut him loose. Which, uh, I mean, he's maybe they just misunderstood the kind of player he is. Is that possible? Right, like he's always been a streaky goal poacher, and his streaks were longer and more prolific when he was in Germany. But that doesn't mean that the nature of his play is any different than it ever was. No, and I'm not sure that he really fits as playing as the lone striker in the Premier League side either. No. I mean, I, I've i long thought that he's best as a, a, either a false nine or a winger in terms of just kind of cutting his way and finding space in the box to do exactly what I just said, poach a goal, right? Like, he's a player who I... I don't think is ever going to be that solid 20 goal man in the most competitive league in the world. Yeah. Maybe he can do that in the Bundesliga, but he's still, still his bread and butter is like the occasional wonder goal and a ton of tap-ins. Yeah. And therefore he would suit. I mean, if they would play him and Carroll at the same time, maybe that would work a little bit better, but then they have to forego the, the system that they're playing right now. So, yeah, uh, they say that Krasnodar striker Fyodor, Fyodor, that's a good uh, first name, Smolov is on West Ham's radar and that he apparently is interested uh, to move to London. I would be that if I was playing for Krasnodar too. Nothing bad about Krasnodar. Um, they're a decent, pretty good side, but at the same time, 
I think a move to London is pretty, you know, pretty tantalizing for a lot of players. Yeah, of course. So we'll see what happens there. Manchester United have been linked with a number of players, but Lucas Mora has been one of the, the big talking points here as he's having a tough time getting playing time with PSG. And, you know, if I, my, you know, throwing my two cents here, I think Mora would be a great signing for United. They have, They lack natural wingers. They have a great target. They have two ta- great target men in Lukaku and Slatan that are good, you know, good at heading the ball into the back of the net. They try to attempt the crosses, but they're just not high of a high enough quality, really. Yeah. I, I mean, perhaps I may eat my words ultimately, but I would not be surprised should. United actually land Lucas that if he were to go on to be at least as if not more successful than Pogba during his time at Old Trafford because he is a player I have long rated extremely highly and you know I mean I've seen figures between 30 and 40 million thrown around and if they get him as low as 35 then I think that's a steal for a hugely talented player. Yeah, I mean, even if it would just be a squad player, that's sort of the number here now for the big clubs. Thirty between thirty and forty million. So I mean, and and the thing is that with the the current inflated transfer prices, like that would be, you know, I I think that's a phenomenal price for a player like him. Hell, if Arsenal sell Alexis and have roughly that same amount from that deal. Boy, I would love Lucas as a replacement. Yeah. Yeah. Another player that could be on the move, it's Daniel Sturridge. Uh, not getting a lot of play time for Liverpool. Southampton and West Ham are said to be interested in him. Uh, I know Inter Milan apparently wanted him on loan, but Liverpool, they wanted to sell him. And the asking price is said to be around 30 million pounds. So we'll see what happens there. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Chelsea and their plans to get a new stadium or expand on Stamford Bridge at least. But they've hit a little bit of a snafu on that one. And then we take a look ahead at what's coming up over the weekend. So stick around. Okay, we're back. As you know, Arenas are very important, especially for the big clubs. They want to pack in as many people as possible in the seats, make as much money as possible. And we've seen Spurs, they're, you know, White Hart Lane, they're redoing that. We've seen Arsenal, you know, with Emirates and so on and so on. Chelsea, they want to expand Stamford Bridge. They want to pump in, I think it's close to five billion dollars or something like that it's a lot of money uh but there is a family the family's name is the crothwaites who have put in a motion to halt this expansion as it would put their house in a permanent shade like they would not see the sun (laughs) yeah and i think this is hilarious so (laughs) A lot of the other tenants and everything seems to have um, just accepted a little bit of money from Chelsea, uh, somewhere around 
$150,000 or £100,000. And would you live in permanent shade if you got £100,000? No. No? Uh, No. I mean, I would take £100,000 and then sell my house right after that. Mm. (laughs) Like, you know, it's... Uh, throw a hundred thousand quid on top of what I'm sure is already at least a million pound property if it is across the street from Stamford Bridge, and then you know move two kilometers down the road. Yeah. Uh, or I mean, honestly, even though I I assume that if they live there, whomever these people are, or at least maybe if they have kids, their kids are Chelsea supporters given their spitting distance proximity from Stanford Bridge. Um, so I would just say, you know, give us season tickets as long as we live here, if we're going to have shade and or a hundred thousand quid, maybe if you can make it and sure, take it both, go to the games for two years and then sell your place. And oh yeah. On. No, no, I would say that. Yeah. Give me the hundred thousand and then give me like four season tickets for life. Well, you can't say for life. For as, for ah, for as life. long as you own the house. Okay, for as long. Okay, yeah. You know what you could also do, though, in terms of adding value to the property? Because they will lose value to their home, right? Is say that, like, part and parcel of owning this house is four season tickets to Chelsea. Yeah, you could do something like that. Although I bet there's some Chelsea fan that would, wouldn't care that they were living in a permanent shade if they lived that close to the arena. Well, and that, that's the thing, and that it adds enough, you know... Well, I, but but that's still though. Like I'm no realtor, said. Like I've never bought or sold a house in my life. But that said, you know, it w- it will significantly decrease the value of their homes. Like this is our sunroom. It's in permanent shadow. True. This is our shadow room. Yeah. You just gotta spin Ooh, that it. That sounds mysterious. Yeah. You just gotta spin it. That's all you gotta do. Or get those light bulbs that simulate sunshine. There's ways oh, around yeah. this. Yeah. A uh, big marquee matchup though over the weekend is on Sunday as uh, we got Liverpool taking on Manchester City. I saw Jamie Carragher. He declared now that with Virgil van Dijk in the lineup, Liverpool, they will finish in the top four. He's certain about it. I'm not so sure. No. I he had. A, I mean, he had a dream debut in terms of walking onto this team and scoring a winner, right? But... Uh, He's a, he is a, I, I don't know exactly how to describe it. A solid Premier League defender. He's a little better than I, what I would call a journeyman defender. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, I don't rate him much higher than Ryan Shawcross. Although I do think Ryan Shawcross is a horrible orc and I will never forgive him for shattering Aaron Ramsey's leg. But that aside, the quality of the players themselves as you know, consistent Premier League level, like caliber defenders, I I don't think that there's a huge difference. And you're never going to see Ryan Shawcross, even despite the fact that he is English, go for 40 million quid. Oh, no. And definitely not 75. I thought it was was, uh, 40 million plus add-ons. Well, total is 75. Jesus. I mean, and I could be wrong about that. 
So, yeah, I still see, you know, City, we already declared them winners, basically. But then I think it's going to be United, Chelsea, Spurs. Maybe not in that order, but I think that will be your top four. And then yeah, Chelsea or Arsenal or Liverpool in fifth. I mean, the thing is that even with Virgil van Dijk, I still don't think that the back line of Liverpool and their goalkeeper are can can be said to be well I was going to say even close to as good maybe close to as good but still clearly inferior to Tottenham's back line with Hugo Lloris between the sticks mm-hmm. I mean Simo Mignolet is just not very good guys no. like I don't no, care I mean there's a, a great center half in front of him like yeah. he's a terrible keeper there's a great discrepancy there if you look at it you know United they have their guy Chelsea they have their guy Arsenal have their guy, Spurs have their guy. I mean, all top goal goalkeepers. Uh, Liverpool, not so much. So we'll see what happens there. But that is a very interesting game at Anfield. One that has big implications towards the bottom of the table is Newcastle Swansea. As you know, we as we spoke about last time, or the time before that. But you only have six points separating Newcastle in 13th and Swansea at the bottom of the table. So it's crazy. I mean, yeah, to me, even, even more shocking is the separation between, you know, Stoke in 18th, and, you know, top, but still relegation police and Newcastle two points ahead of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're two points ahead of the drop technically. So a uh, big, big game there. Uh, Newcastle play at home. We'll get to that in our scoring prediction here in just a little bit. We should actually head over to that. So if we start things off, we have Chelsea at home to Leicester. And Chelsea, they might have problems. Very bad form, man. Yeah, but I still think they have enough to take care of business at home against Leicester. So I'm going to give them a 3-1 win here. Morata will uh, I, maybe Morata will actually finish things. Been a little yeah, bit wasteful. Terribly wasteful. Uh, and but not alone. I think that you could have asked more from Eden Hazard in their uh, semi-final Chupacabra Cup tie against Arsenal. I, it's it's hard for me to it's hard for me to take this one. I'm I'm gonna pick on quality of players and not current form and say. Chelsea, but I would not be surprised if this was a draw. I don't see the Foxes winning it, but I would not be surprised if Chelsea dropped it. Right. I'm going to go with the quality. Okay, there we go. We should also say that Pauly is in the lead 164, I'm in second 148, and Elliot is last 139. So Pauly won't hate for me for not saying that. Uh, Crystal Palace Burnley next up. I'm going to go one nothing Burnley. Yeah, I know Crystal Palace been really good under under Roy, but I, but Burnley I, have been great. They've been and, great, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'll do the uh, non-pick prediction of one nil to the home team as well. Well, Burnley are on the road. Oh, I thought you said Burnley were home. Nope. You can go Crystal Palace. You want to sag? Oh God, no! I don't want to sag. Although I think that might that will sway me enough to say I'll give him a draw. 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one. okay. Then we got Huddersfield at home to West Ham. I'm going to go scoreless draw on this one. i got to have one. 
that's going to be it. Nah, uh, uh, Huddersfield are going to take a one nil victory. Mm, one, <laughs> There's my one nil to the there, home side. There you go. Then Newcastle Swansea, lot on the line. Oh, oof. two two. I think we're going to see some goals here. No, this is you and I are pretty opposite, yet we pick the same result. This is my scoreless draw. Mm, okay. I think no. it's going to be a cagey affair, and neither is going to want to lose the game, and it's going to end up being tepid and awful at St. James Park. Mm. Then we got West Brom at home to Brighton. Oof. Uh, yeah, I don't know about this one. I'll say one nothing Brighton. Ah, stealing my pick, Seb. West, I gotta, West Brom are just so bad. I know. I know. Um... Well, I'm not going to make any ground up on you with this one, but we picked differently so far, so I'm going to go with you. 1-0, Brighton. Okay. Then we got Watford at home to Southampton. Mm, this one is another one. Watford not playing that well lately. I'm going to say they bounce back, though. One, no, 2-1. to one. I think I think I'm going to pick this one as my 2-2. Okay. Okay, 2-2. Then Spurs at home to Everton. Harry Kane, I put him in as my captain in the fantasy team. 4-1. 4-1 Spurs. Give me a Harry Kane hat-trick too. Nah, 2-0, but still to Tottenham. Then Bournemouth against Arsenal. Arsenal bouncing back after a disappointing game in the FA Cup. I'll go 3-0. Uh, that's, that's more comfortable than I'm, I envision this game being, uh, two, two, one, but I'm still going to give it to Arsenal. God, you guys better do it on the road this time. <laughs> then we have that Liverpool man city game. I mean, we could see a lot of goals here. These are oh, yeah. two very good offensively minded teams. City is a little bit better at the back though. Oof. But it's also at Anfield. It is. But even, I'll go 4-2 Man City. Uh, uh, can I give Liverpool that many goals? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, maybe maybe they'll stay in it a little more. 3-2 City. 3-2 City, okay. Hmm. Making it a little bit more interesting there. And then last off Monday night's game, or Monday afternoon's game, U.S. time, Manchester United at home against... Managerial less Stoke, so because I I highly doubt that they'll get anything done here before Monday's game, so I'm not gonna give Stoke the new manager effect. Therefore, it's gonna be two nothing Manchester United. I think I think they're managerless. They're gonna park the bus, and United are gonna be Jose Mourinho United, and they're still gonna take three points, but they're only gonna score one goal, one nil. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. We're going to leave you with Paulie's take here on the U.S. men's national team, the January tour, and Jonathan Gonzalez. We'll talk to you again after the weekend. Until then, have a good one. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better, and Paulie is P. Crystal. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paulie coming down to you with your mobile the mobile take this week, and I'm going to turn the page a bit, focus a little bit on the U.S. US soccer with the really dumb January camp getting set to start up soon. 
even dumber this year because we don't have a manager and we're not playing in the World Cup. But the big story this week, uh, Mexican-American midfielder Jonathan Gonzalez choosing to play for Mexico over the U.S., even though he's a product of the U.S. youth system. This loss, calling it a big loss for U.S. soccer. Come on, guys. He's 18. We don't know what he is. I get it. He's having a great year uh, in the Mexican League. He's a holding midfielder. He could be the long-term replacement for Michael Bradley. He could be the long-term solution in our midfield. I get it. But the, the key word there is could be. We don't know what he's going to be. He's 18. It's way too early to tell. And on a personal level, on a personal level, there could be geopolitical reasons for his decision. There could be reasons that, you know, he just feels more connected to Mexico. The same way that when he stepped on a soccer field, Giuseppe Rossi felt more connected to Italy. That could all be in play. But deep down on a personal level, Mexico this year gives Gonzalez a chance to play in the World Cup. And the U.S. does not do that. Am I saying he's going to make the World Cup team? Absolutely not. Who knows? But let's say he has a great rest of the season and plays, and plays, his, plays his way into a spot where he deserves to be going to Russia. Mexico can offer him that chance. The U.S. can't. And right there, that is everything. Because he's 18 years old. And if you're an 18-year-old, this might be his only chance to play in the World Cup. We don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe he goes to the World Cup and becomes a tremendous midfielder, one of the best in the world. What gets a European offer, his career grows, he becomes one of the best midfielders in the world. That is the situation that we're all fearing right now. But what happens if he hurts his leg next year and his career is never the same? Or what happens if, you know, just like a lot of young players, he hits a rut in his career and he kind of levels out and, you know, never becomes great. You can't bank on him being great and leading you to a World Cup in 2022 in five years. If you're a young player and you have that chance to go now, you take it because who knows what's going to be in store for you five years later. I, I get right now that pe- people are mad right now, but they're mad about we're losing a player that they think he can be. It's not about the player that he is. He didn't even make the U-20 World Cup team last year. So how mad are we getting about a player like this? Think back to four years ago, 2014, Julian Green. The U.S. and Germany were fighting over Julian Green. Germany wanted that kid. The U.S. offered him something that Germany couldn't offer, a spot in the World Cup. He only played for 15 minutes. He scored a goal, though. And since then, his career has gone in the dumpster. You know, he's an afterthought. Had he chosen to play for Germany, he never would have even sniffed the national team. But no one will ever be able to take away that he scored a goal in the World Cup. And Germany did, remember, Germany did not want Julian Green for what he is. They wanted him or for what he was. They wanted him for what they thought he could be. And that's what you're fighting over Jonathan Gonzalez for. Soccer is, when you break out in soccer, it's about one thing. When did you break out? Julian Green, had he turned 18 a year later, the U.S. and Germany wouldn't have been fighting over him. You know, Juan Agadello came onto the scene in 2011. He lit it up. He lit everything on fire. He scored an equalizing goal against Argentina. Everybody loved the guy. They thought he was our next best striker. Had the World Cup been played in 2011, Juan Agadello would have started alongside Josie Altidore. 
but it wasn't. It was played three years from then. His career went, you know, sputtered. He didn't even make the team. Timmy Chandler made his debut in that game against Argentina in 2011. He tore it up. He torched Argentina. He played the next game against Paraguay and put in another great performance. Everyone thought we had our right back of the future. By 2014, he was on our bench in Brazil, never made an appearance in the tournament. Two years later, nobody wants to see him in a U.S. shirt. It's all about when you break out. Dimitri Payet had his great season for West Ham. Dimitri Payet has eight career goals for France. Seven of them came in 2016. He got to play in the Euros. If he had his breakout season a year earlier or a year later, he never plays in a major tournament. It's all about when you break out. Jonathan Gonzalez is breaking out now. You can't fault him for taking a chance. Even if, it's, even if he only has a 5% chance of getting to the World Cup this year, that's 5% more than he would have had with the U.S. If you're mad about that, you need to find something else to be mad about. The last thing, U.S. stalwart Christian Pulisic finding himself in a bidding war now between Manchester United and Liverpool. If there are two teams that I do not want Christian Pulisic to end up at, they are Manchester United and Liverpool. Can't go to Liverpool because I don't want to hate you. Can't go to Manchester United because stay the hell away from Jose Mourinho, who will cripple your development. Stay at Dortmund, kid. Continue to get better, and we'll love you for it.